It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, as Dara said, we are taking a break. Normally we go through uh, a book of the Bible, kind of a chapter at a time, but we're taking a break from a series in Genesis uh, to explore these six questions along with brothers and sisters all over the country. And uh, today we're going to think about the question, will I ever be good enough? Will I ever be good enough? And so we want to think about that uh, this morning. Before we do, uh, if you would pray with me one more time, that would be fantastic, all right? Father, thank you uh, for your goodness as we've reflected, Father, upon what you've done and what you've accomplished in Christ, our, our, our Savior. Uh, Father, indeed, our hearts are encouraged. Uh, we feel nourished uh, being reminded that uh, we stand right before you, not because of the good we've done, but because Jesus was good for us, that his blood covers our sin. And Father, even as there might be those in the room today that have never trusted in Jesus, we pray that you would work in their heart, that they might see that Jesus died for them, uh, that the gift of life is, is there before them to, to accept through faith as well. Father, we pray, just as we think about this question, we, we pray that you would uh, Father, be at work in our hearts through your Spirit. We pray, Father, that you would do what you wanted. You would accomplish in us your purpose. Would you take a few moments quietly, don't say anything out loud, but just ask God to speak to your heart this morning as we think about this question. And then, if you wouldn't mind, as I always ask, would you pray for me that God might speak through me what He wants to say this morning? Father, we are reminded as we reflect upon who we are, we are reminded that we are needy. And so we come humbly to ask that you would speak to us and help us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us. We pray, Father, that you would work as we think about your word and as we think about Jesus. We thank you, Father, and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had a, a conversation that in the moment was incredibly meaningful or insightful, a conversation that you have remembered even years or decades later. And you remember kind of where you were and you remember the, the circumstances surrounding the conversation. And I, I had one of those conversations about 15 years ago. I was playing uh, tag rugby and uh, a friend of mine and I were just talking and the conversation uh, was, uh, we kind of steered it towards spiritual things. And so we started talking about spiritual things. And in the midst of that conversation, I was able to share with him just the message of the gospel and, and what I believed and why I was a follower uh, of Jesus. And I'll never forget, because it was so insightful in the moment, but I'll never forget what he said to me in response to hearing the gospel message. He said, your religion tells you why you're going to heaven. My religion tells me all the reasons I'm going to hell. And I remember thinking in that moment how insightful 
that was. It, what a, what, what a, it was a window into his heart. And what it, what it betrayed or what it showed me was that there was a sense of, of hopelessness in his life. There was a sense of hopelessness in that reply because he had been told that heaven was for those who were good enough and that he wasn't. He had been told that all of his life, that, that he had too much guilt and too much shame and that he wasn't good enough. Now, maybe you've wrestled with that very question. And if you have, you've probably either just given up altogether like my friend had, or you've collapsed under the, the, the guilt of trying and failing over and over again. Will I ever be good enough? It leads us to another question that I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about, and that is, how good is good enough? Will I ever be good enough leads us to the obvious question, then, how good is good enough? And no matter which, uh, if you've wrestled with that question, no matter which side you've come down on, I want us to think about that question of goodness today as we think about God's Word together. Uh, years ago, I read this really great little booklet by a guy in the U.S. named Andy Stanley, and it was called How Good is Good Enough? And I've given it out. I don't know how many copies I've given out because it was just a, it was just a really insightful uh, exploration of, of this particular question. And, and, you know, it's been really helpful to me over the years in thinking about this question as we think about this question today, will I ever be good enough? I want to frame it maybe this way. If there is a heaven, then who goes? If there is a heaven, then who goes? Now, most people, if they will grant the premise that there's a heaven, most people would say that good people go to heaven, right? Maybe you've heard that before. Good people go to heaven. It seems fair, doesn't it? I mean, our experience is typically that if you're good, you get rewarded, and if you're bad, you get punished, right? It seems like it should be biblical. I mean, think about it. A good God should want to surround himself with good people in a good heaven, right? Now, some might further define what good is using religious Terms. So, uh, how good religion? How good is good enough religiously speaking? But it's the same thing. However you define good, it's still uh, the same question. Now, that's probably out there a little bit somewhere. If we bring it a little closer to home, uh, what about for you? Let's think about it this way: If you were to die tonight. And to stand before God and he asks, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? What would be your reply to that? Uh, or if you were to die tonight, would you know that you would go to heaven? Can you even know where you would go when you die? Now, maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe that's never entered your mind. Maybe uh, you've kind of defaulted to the same answer uh, as most, which is, you know what? I'm good. I mean, I, I know I'm not perfect, right? Nobody's perfect, but I'm good. I'm better than that guy anyway, right? And maybe you've adopted the, uh, sure, it'll be grand 
approach to thinking about that, that question. And you may, you've never really given it much thought. Or again, like my friend, maybe you're so overcome with guilt and shame that it's just a depressing topic altogether. Think about it this way. Uh, if you're a student here today, imagine that you walk into a class and the teacher hands you a syllabus and you read on the syllabus that your mark, whether you pass or fail the class, is going to come down to one examination at the end of the course. And there are no notes, there are no lectures, there is nothing to give you any indication as to what will be on the exam. Or think about you take a job and you go in and your employer says, okay, your, the, your continuation, your continuing to be employed here is going to be dependent upon an annual review. But then doesn't tell you anything about your job responsibility or what you're going to be held accountable for. It doesn't sound very fair, does it? It doesn't sound very fair. Uh, most of us would see that scenario as unfair. And why? Because where there's no standard, there's no measure by which you can know how you're doing. And this is the problem with good. The problem with good is that good is a moving target. Good is a moving target. If there is no standard, then how can we know what good is? How can we know how we're doing? Well, some people might say, you know what? We just kind of know, right? I mean, it's just kind of intuitive. But we don't really believe that. Well, think about it. Is it good to chop off people's heads? Well, there are some extremist Muslim groups that think it is good to do that. There are other things. Uh, the, the missiologist Don Richardson famously was, was sharing the gospel with a tribe of people, I, I think in South America. And he got to the part in the gospel about Judas and the story of the gospel about Judas. And the people that he was sharing the gospel with began to applaud and began to become animated because for them, treachery and deception was a good. It was a value. Now, that might be a bit extreme, but if we think about, you know, is it good to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Well, some might say yes, some might say no. Is it good to sleep with someone else's boyfriend or girlfriend? Well, again, some might say yes, and some might say no. In fact, in our culture today, who is the final rule in defining what is good or bad for someone? It's me. It's not me. It's the person, right? Every person is able in our culture today to define for themselves what good is. And listen, you know yourself, even internally, there are things that you may feel are good or bad that are not the same things you felt were good or bad a decade ago or five years ago. So even internally, you see this sense in which good and bad shift and move. What about other religions? On the surface, other religions, they all say the same thing, don't they? Well, 
What about polygamy? Is that a good thing? What about honor killings? Is that a good thing? What, what about uh, worshiping cattle? Is that a good thing? Depends on who you ask, doesn't it? Well, isn't the Bible the standard? Isn't the Bible the standard of, of good? Well, there is a standard in the Bible, and we'll come back to that in a few moments. But the problem is, in terms of good, the Bible isn't very clear on how good is measured. Good is a moving target because even in the Bible, there's no clear way for us to know how we're doing at being good. Some might say, well, hold on a minute. What about the Ten Commandments? Okay, which ones? Where are they even in the Bible? Uh, and do you have to get all 10 of them? Or is there a percentage? You know, maybe if you get 80% of them, you're okay, you're good. Maybe, but if you're at 70%, no, sorry, not good enough. Well, some people say, okay, well, you just have to be generally good, right? You do more good things than you do bad things. Treat people nicely, that sort of thing. But again, how do you measure that? How do you measure how you're doing at being good? What's the standard? Is it perfect? Is it sort of perfect? Is it better than the majority of the rest of the population? We don't know. See, look, if I want to know at home how fast my internet connection is, I've got an app that I can go to. There's a website I can go to, and it will show me. It will give me the standard. It will show me what, where I stand in terms of my internet speed. But listen, there is no diagnostic check for being good. And eternity is at stake. Eternity uh, is at stake. Isn't it unfair for God to hold us to an invisible standard? I mean, think about it. Every day that you live is one less day you have to kind of tip the invisible scales in your favor. And you never know how you're doing. I mean, look, if you want fair, that doesn't sound very fair. What if an angel came to you today and said, okay, based on when you're going to die, you have just enough time left to do good in order to end with a positive balance. Think about how terrible that would be. I mean, you would essentially have to be perfect then for the rest of your life. Better to live in ignorant bliss, right? Now look, I'm not trying to be nasty here, but some have invented a way for us to pay for the bad things we do after we die and then eventually get into heaven. So from a, for an indeterminate amount of time, you can suffer in the afterlife until you get enough credit, until you purge away enough of your evil to be good enough to get into heaven. Now, I think that is, again, I'm not being nasty. I think that's a fanciful doctrine. But frankly, it's just as unfair as everything else because it's not clear. Will I be there for a thousand years? Will I be there for 10,000 years? 10 million years? Will I be there for a billion years? We don't know. There's no way for us to know. And this is the problem with good. Good is a moving target. 
So what standard does the Bible give? What is it that the Bible says about this? Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. This is the testimony of the whole of the scripture, especially the New Testament. Now we could talk about how the Old Testament fits into this, but this is certainly the testimony of the New Testament. And I want us to think about a few examples, places where we see this in the teaching of Jesus. First, think about Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, just so you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, we might call them professional do-gooders. If you want to talk about someone that did good, the scribes and the Pharisees took doing good religiously to a whole new level. They obeyed the law, but then that wasn't enough. They even added stuff to the law to obey so that they weren't in danger of breaking the law. They were professional do-gooders. And Jesus says that even their good wasn't enough. And Jesus' point is to say that, there, that we need something else, something outside of ourselves, something from God. I think about this famous account in Luke 23. As Jesus is crucified, he is crucified between two criminals. And he actually promises in this scene, he actually promises heaven to a bad guy. Never mind a good guy. He promises heaven to a bad guy. Look at in verses 32 and 33. And this is from the message, which is a paraphrase. He says, uh, two others, both criminals, were taken along with him, that's Jesus, for execution. When they got to the place called Skull Hill, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Now, in Greek, there is a difference between a thief and a criminal. The word criminal is reserved for the worst of the worst. Uh, it's the word, uh, we might say, pirate. Uh, th this is a, an exceptionally evil person. If you were a thief in the Roman world, you served as a slave in the empire. If you were a criminal, though, you got crucified. And so we see here these two, uh, what we would say are bad people. These are not good people. These are criminals. And one on the right, one on the left. We see in verses 39 to 43, the conversation continues. One of the criminals hanging alongside cursed him. Some Messiah you are, save yourself, save us. But the other criminal made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, don't worry, I will. Today, you will join me in paradise. See, the, the works of these criminals speak for themselves. They have done wicked things. They are evil people. They deserve the punishment that they are getting. 
And in verse 39, one of them raises his fist to God, even as he is getting what he deserves. But the other admits that he is getting what is fair based on what he has done. In verse 40, he says, we're getting what we deserve. He's not. We are. And he asks Jesus. I mean, imagine the cheek here. He asks Jesus for what he doesn't deserve. He asked him for what he doesn't deserve. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He knows he's not good. He knows he doesn't deserve that. And yet he asks Jesus for it. And Jesus says yes. In fact, he promises him, yes, today you will join me in paradise. This criminal who's being crucified, he has no opportunity to do more good things. He has no opportunity for his good things to somehow outweigh his bad things. He is a criminal. He is getting what he's deserved. He asks Jesus to give him what he doesn't deserve. And Jesus says, yes. What do we make of that? Well, the Apostle Paul, he said it even more strongly in Romans chapter 3. He said, as it is written, there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul said it as strong as you could possibly say. There is no person who is good enough. Now, righteous simply means that you are so good that even God would say you are good and you are okay. And Paul says there isn't one. He says that everyone, if left to themselves, is guilty and without hope. The bar is simply too high. And that's the meaning when we get to verse 23, where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, the Bible is unlike any other religious book. And biblical Christianity is unlike any other religious system. It doesn't argue that you and I have to do certain good things in order to get to heaven or nirvana or paradise or whatever. It just flat out says people can't be good enough to go to heaven. And listen, if you're here today and you are carrying around with you guilt and shame and you are feeling that you are not good enough, guess what? You are actually on the right track and you are in good company because nobody is good enough. Nobody is good enough. That's bad news, isn't it? Aren't you glad you came today? And this, let's pray and let's just uh, rejoice together. Uh, no. Is this all the Bible says, though? What hope is there if it's not about being good? Listen, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that when we could not be good enough, that Jesus was good for us. That he did what we could not do. That he took our guilt and our shame. That he took the curse that we deserved. And listen, he didn't just take some of it. 
He took all of it. Listen to how Paul says it in Colossians 2. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Paul saying in Galatians 3 that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In Romans 3, 23 and 24, following that verse where it says all sinned, Paul says, out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid your bill when you couldn't. He settled your account. He paid for the bad that you had done, for all the bad that you have ever done or ever will do. He paid for it all. The imagery of sacrifice in the New Testament, is the imagery of blood covering over all of our wrongdoing. So a penalty had to be paid because God is holy. But entering into our story, he paid it himself in Jesus. As we carry on in Romans 3 in verses 25 and 26, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. And he makes it possible for us to live In his rightness. See, Jesus did for us exactly what we needed when we needed it to be done. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5, he says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it, Couldn't do anything to earn it. Christ died for us. See, the good news that we see in the scriptures, the the, the good news in the Bible is that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. I want to suggest that it's actually good news that good people don't go to heaven. It's good news because it means that all you and I bring to the table is our sin and our guilt and our shame. That's all we bring to the table. And we all have those things, don't we? And so that means that all of us, that any of us are candidates to receive the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus. Whatever you've done, Jesus died for it all. Whatever you've done, Jesus died for it all. 
It's good news because it means that we can actually have assurance of life with God because life is not ultimately based on our goodness. It is based on the goodness of another. So if Jesus can never sin and never die, then his sacrifice made for us will always be acceptable to the Father. So how am I forgiven? How do we receive this gift of forgiveness? By placing all of our confidence for heaven in what Jesus did in paying for our sins on the cross. I read a pastor one time who said, there is no catch to God's grace but this. You can only receive it as a gift. That's the only catch to grace is that it can only be received as a gift. So consider what Jesus says when he's talking to one of those professional religious guys named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He tells him you must be born again. And when John recounts on that in verse 16, when he recounts on, on that, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe in him. Dara read earlier Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith. Faith is nothing more than confident trust. It's placing all of the weight of your hope for eternity and life in what Jesus has done. Not, not kind of sitting half on a chair, half off, but placing all of your weight in what Jesus has done in dying for you. Again, that thief on the cross acknowledged who Jesus was. He's the king, and that he alone was able to help him in that moment. And finally, in Romans 3, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. Is it excluded by a law of works? No, but a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified. That is, one is declared to be good by faith and apart from the works of the law. Listen, that's all a Christian is. All a Christian is, is someone who hides themselves behind Jesus through faith. It's one who has trusted and believed that they could not be good enough, but that Jesus was good enough for them. And so they hide themselves behind his goodness through faith. Maybe you've seen this illustration before. Uh, let's just say that this ladder is the ladder that you have to climb in being good in order to reach God. Now, if I was to ask you, okay, who's the most good person that you've ever heard of? You know, some people might say it's the Pope. Some people might say Mother Teresa, right? Uh, even Mother Teresa acknowledged she wasn't perfect. So where would we put Mother Teresa on this ladder? Okay, maybe we would put her here, pretty close to the top. She did a lot of good stuff, didn't she? Okay, that's, I mean, that's Mother Teresa. 
Uh, Who's the most good person that you actually know? Well, for most of us, it's probably our granny. Right? Your granny was good, wasn't she? My granny was good. She was the most good person that I knew. Now, my granny wasn't as good as Mother Teresa, but maybe we'll put her there. Just below Mother Teresa, okay? Now, if you think the other extreme, who's the worst person that you've ever heard of? Well, most people would say someone like Adolf Hitler, right? And where would you put Adolf Hitler? He's way down here uh, at the bottom. He's got a long way to go. And again, let's think about, okay, in our own circle, who's the worst person that you actually know? We probably didn't know Adolf Hitler. Who's the worst person you probably know? Well, I'm not speaking for myself, okay? But maybe you would say, you know what? My neighbor. That's the worst person I know. They always have parties. They're always loud. They don't clean up their garden, whatever. But you know, your neighbor's not as bad as Hitler. So maybe he's there just above Hitler, right? Maybe he is. I don't know, but probably not. Okay, now think about, okay, where would you put yourself? If you had to put yourself somewhere on this ladder of goodness, where would you put yourself? Well, okay, you know you're better than your neighbor, right? So you're above your neighbor, But you're not as good as your granny, so you're somewhere in the middle right there. All right? That's where you are. You're you're pretty good, but you're not as good as granny. So here's the problem. Maybe you see it. If this is how we get to God, being good enough, you've got a problem, don't you? What's the problem? The problem is that. How are you going to deal with that gap? You're not good enough. There's a gap. There's an area that you can't bridge. So how are you going to deal with that if being good is what it's all about? Here's the thing. Jesus died for that gap. He died to bridge that gap. Now, even more than that. See, because the Bible says that even our good is tainted by sin. So we may do good stuff, but the Bible says even when we do good stuff, there's something in our heart that taints even the good stuff that we do. So here's the thing. Jesus died to completely obliterate that ladder. Jesus, as we sang earlier, is our everything. We have nothing apart from what he has done in dying on the cross. Will I ever be good enough? (laughs) The answer is no. Not in yourself. But that is good news. Because it makes you a candidate to bring all of your guilt, to bring all of your shame to the foot of the cross and to receive forgiveness of sin and life forevermore. And listen, maybe you're here today and you're desperately trying to climb this ladder. Can I just plead with you to stop and to turn in faith, to trust in the one who has done away with the ladder altogether and through his death has made the way for you to have access to to God and to receive the life that he promises. It's a gift. 
All you have to do is place your trust in it. And you can do that today. You can do that at any moment. You can say, Father, I know that I am not good enough, but I know and I believe that Jesus was good for me. And so I place all of my confidence in him. Would you give me the life that you've promised? And our Father who sees our heart in that moment will save us. And we can know in that moment that we have eternal life. See, listen, good is a moving target. God wouldn't call us to be good and then leave it unclear. But here's the thing. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And you can be forgiven simply by turning to Jesus, believing that he died for your bad stuff and that he offers forgiveness. It's that simple. As I was studying this week, I came across this incredible article. I had no idea this book existed. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer in the United States back in the 80s, early 90s. He was convicted of 15 murders. He was, it was really horrific, the things that he did. He received uh, many lifetime sentences. So th- there's no hope that he will ever escape. And there was a pastor named Roy Ratcliffe who began to visit Jeffrey Dahmer in prison. He began to visit with him and he began to share the gospel with him. And in 1994, Jeffrey Dahmer gave an interview uh, on a, 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 a network, a news network channel in the U.S. where he said these words. Jeffrey Dahmer said, I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, we don't know Jeffrey Dahmer's heart, okay? We don't know what ha- what transpired in his heart if he really did become a follower of Jesus. But imagine, imagine if he did. Imagine that one day you're in heaven praising the Father next to Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. Now, you can imagine this Roy Ratcliffe, he wrote a book about, this, uh, about these encounters that he had with Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's, on, uh, it's available on Amazon, obviously, and people review on Amazon, right? And so you can imagine the reviews. One of the reviews in particular was really fascinating. Uh, here's what this person says. I don't know why you or the person who posted above you cares about the state of Dahmer's soul, much less has any desire to meet him in heaven. It's just plain creepy. Some of the people who've read the pastor's book and written reviews are thrilled that God can and does forgive anything and how much hope it gives them of getting into heaven. Good Lord, what kind of sins did they commit themselves to be relieved by something like that? And the author says, you know what? It actually is good news. If God is able even to forgive the sins of a serial killer, because here's the thing, all of us, are guilty of sin. None of us deserve the life that God promises. So whether we've, whether we've murdered 15 people, whether we've told lies, whether we've uh, dishonored our parents, whatever it is that we've done, it is good news. If God can forgive Jeffrey Dahmer, God can forgive us. It is good news because there are people in our lives that we don't want to forgive. Imagine if your eternal state depended upon me forgiving you. 
that's not the way it works. God, in his grace, has provided a way that we can be forgiven and receive life. And that's good news. And it means that God gets the glory for doing what we cannot do. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about that question, will I ever be good enough? I pray that you would challenge our hearts. That as we realize that we will never be good enough, that our hearts would rest in the fact that Jesus was good for us. Let that thought, Father, fill us with joy. As we feel discouraged, as we sin even today, Father, would you encourage us to return to you in repentance, knowing that Jesus has paid the price. And Father, for those who are here today that have never trusted in Jesus, Father, would today be the day that they would put aside the notion of being good and that they would trust in the goodness of the Lord Jesus through faith. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.